0: Welcome to We Got Your Mac from SHI. If you're an enterprise executive or business leader trying to decide if Mac adoption at scale is right for your organization, this is the show for you. In each episode, we dive into what it means to adopt the Mac platform at scale and how to get there quickly with minimum disruption to your users and IT teams. This week's hosts are Victoria Barber and Kevin English.
1: Good morning. Well, thank you for joining We Got Your Mac. Another episode today, we're here talking about Microsoft and Mac. And for many organizations, it's been historically an either or discussion. But for today's conversation, we're joined by my friend and colleague, Steve Weiner, who's the principal architect of our Advanced Solutions Group. Victoria and I, we both worked with Steve in the past, so we're delighted that he can join us today.
2: Hi, Kevin. Do you have a good break over the holiday?
1: I did, Victoria. Thank you. How about you?
2: Yes, it was uh, It was nice to have a bit of time, a small amount of time not thinking about work, although I have to admit, you know, there were some Apple-related discussions going on over, over the holiday period.
1: That's a good thing. Did you pull any Christmas crackers?
2: Yes, sadly, there was no no nice new Apple kit inside them, though. I think I'm going to have to source that for myself, unfortunately.
1: You should define for our audience what a Christmas cracker was. I, I've learned about this about a decade ago, but it, it was news to me being an American.
2: Okay, so everyone's going to have to look this one up afterwards, anyway, because I, my explanation probably won't be great. But they're kind of bow shaped, but it's the middle of it holds things like a paper hat and a joke uh, and maybe a gift. And it has a little snap inside it, which is like, like a, a firecracker or something like that, but really tiny one. And you hold the, each hold the end of it and you pull and it goes bang. And somebody gets the bit with the, with the gift in it. And somebody just gets the dead snap and the end of it.
1: <laughs> so yeah, go look it up. It's, it's fun. It's one of the things I tease Victoria about. She seems to tease me about my use of emojis and stickers. I don't know what the big joke is, but I, I really do love them.
2: Yeah, well, to be fair, I mean, I guess there is a, a genuine business application for them. But I know that, you know, one of the reasons we're discussing this is I sent you a little bit of a, a, a news item that uh, about emojis and stickers.
1: Yeah, I think that's cool, too. But just to back up, I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily talking about it in a business sense, but it does allow you to express yourself
0: hmm.
1: more normally. I think, you know, the fact that you can do a thumbs up with my actual skin color, or I can laugh like a dinosaur, really like so tell me about this news article with the uh, the nine year old u k boy
2: so yeah there's a nine year old in the u k who has complained about the nerd emoji because he says it's stereotyping.
1: I thought it was the cutest story. he does look exactly like the emoji <laughs> i don't think that's his fault or apple's fault. I did think though that People relate to these emojis very yeah. intimately. What are the last few emojis you've used, Victoria?
2: Well, it was a friend's birthday this morning. So probably the last ones I've used were balloons and birthday cakes and celebrations and things like that. A lot of cat emojis going on in this household at the moment as well.
1: Because you have found a, a few rescues.
2: Yeah, I've got two little rescue kittens who are busy running my life for me. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The emojis let you... they they add that that expression into written communication where quite often it can be misinterpreted because you don't have the body language and you don't have, you know, the the vocal cues as to whether something is ironic or sarcastic or humorous or serious, do you? So the the emojis can help with that because there's quite often a lot of misinterpretation of things that are written and people get really worked up about something that actually was intended to be, lighthearted, for example.
1: And it's just the beginning. I don't necessarily look at the stickers and emojis as stickers and emojis, but what it is in iMessage, you know, the blue bubbles, no green bubbles in this household, (laughs) but the blue bubbles, they're they're applications, right? So like these emojis are really small applications within your your iMessage. And um, we can test out like what actual business implications are possible when developers start to develop, you know, applications at the enterprise level. It goes way beyond stickers and emojis for me, Victoria.
2: Yeah. And I I think it's really easy for people to overlook what they think of as being small things, because that's where a lot of the bigger things grow from. But anything that helps people communicate more effectively is really important. And likewise, you know, you made the point about having the thumbs up in the right skin color. Admittedly, originally, we were all a bright shade of yellow that clearly nobody is. So I guess that was the original way of addressing
1: it. Yeah, we still are in teams.
2: Yeah. And I guess that was a way of addressing it when there wasn't the ability to have that kind of variation because you were limited by the systems that we were using, by the capacity of the system. So all emojis were bright yellow which is great apart from the vomiting emoji which has always been green
1: it's very inclusive it's got something for everybody i think that's the other reason why i enjoy it when ios updates come out i know this is a show about mac that's the first thing i go to is to see what new emojis i could use on people
2: yeah, I mean, and I think it's it's important. I mean, you know, one of the things, obviously, when you you're on your Mac, is you can access the emojis through your your keyboard as well, so you don't have to limit it just to to iOS. But you know, when you start looking through the emojis, there are all sorts of things in there, and I think you know something like the emoji where the guys t- or the guy or girl or whoever is touching their ear to indicate that they're deaf. It, that kind of thing's really important because you can communicate by putting that in there so that the person who's reading it knows that you're, you're deaf. Or there are wheelchair symbols. There are cane users. There are things like turbans and veils uh, as well. There's facial hair options.
1: Yoga poses. That's another one of my favorite, the yoga pose or the... the... Facepalm. I I use the facepalm emoji a ton.
2: You do, do you? That says says a lot about the kind of conversations you're having then, Kevin.
1: (laughs) You want to introduce our our special guest for
3: today?
2: Yeah. So we've had a break over the holidays. We've relaxed. So what we thought we'd do is bring you probably our most technical episode to date, I'd say, wouldn't you, Kevin?
1: Oh, I've known Steam for so long. He just talks that way. I don't think it's technical. It's just his point of view.
2: Well, I guess compared to previous episodes, we're we're digging a little bit more into the, the technology rather than rather than focusing on like last episode, the people, or that some of the stuff we've done on process and business. I think we we're, we're digging a bit deeper into the technology. So yeah, so we've invited somebody who Kevin's known for a very long time and who was certainly instrumental in really helping me understand a lot about what, what I needed to know when I first joined, joined SHI, who's Steve Weiner from our Advanced Solutions Group.
1: Well, thanks for joining us, Steve. Welcome to We Got Your Mac. i um, glad to be here. Thanks. So listen, Steve, first, the first question I have, you have this huge setup back there, all those... My toys, yeah. Nice toys and
3: stuff. Well, what kind of device are you using right now? Mac, Windows, what? That's the question. I have both, right? I have a M1 MacBook Pro, soon to be M3, I think. And I have a Surface Laptop Studio. So you use them both. Which one do you use more? Like
1: what, like, why do you use two different?
3: I've, yeah, I, you know, I'm ex-Apple from a long time ago, another life. Before that, it's been everything, right? So it, yeah, I've always seen both. I can't sit in one camp to me. They both have their, you know, their benefits. Um, some of the, Best times of my life was running uh, Mac Snow Leopard and Windows 7 on a MacBook 17-inch MacBook Pro. So Right. So why do you think IT,
1: right, leans towards Windows when folks like you, who are
3: the SCs, the system engineers, the architects, they use Mac on a daily basis? You know, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, Windows is, you know, the majority of the corporate world mainly because of the systems that enterprise is built on. But I think Mac is what people are comfortable with. And it's like the computer for consumers and people. And employees are consumers and employees are people, right? So it kind of makes sense when people want to use Mac in the workplace. They just want to use what they're comfortable with and and what's reliable. And I think it could be intimidating to IT, especially when you have, you know, individuals and SMEs who their background is Windows management. But I think that's coming to an end.
2: So, you know, obviously you're in a very technical role. We're talking to to an audience of decision makers here and thinking about why a decision maker would choose one device over another or maybe in your case, they'd be right in choosing both. But do you think that kind of bias towards Windows is down to a lack of understanding or knowledge? Because, I mean, we've talked about management tools in previous episodes. We talked about security in episode five. We talked about some of the cost elements in episode three with Dave Groover. So is it is it things like the applications, the gap between Windows and Mac applications that maybe is where, where we need to focus, where the problem is?
3: Yeah, I think somewhat. I think the best way to look at it is this, right? A lot of things change and it's hard to keep up, right? How much of business has shifted to web apps? right? Are we really installing thick client applications anymore? It's like, this is not compatible with Mac. This is compatible with Windows. I, I, think, I think that's come to an end. If not fully coming to an end, obviously there's, there's niche software, right? But as a whole, I think decision makers, uh, I mean, most decision makers I speak to have a Mac. So <laughs> that's a little bit of a different story. <laughs> they want what they want, but I think unified endpoint management is real. I think moving to SaaS and web-based cloud applications is real. What do you mean unified endpoint management? What is that? Right. So when we look at as IT, right? Like, you know, I have X application for managing my endpoints. I use something, right? I think it's very easy now to use the same platform for everything, right? I can have one set of standards for Windows, for Mac, for Android, for iOS you know, it, it's not as complicated anymore to bring everyone in. So two folks claim they have UEM,
1: Broadcom, <laughs> formerly known as VMware or Workspace ONE. Yeah. And then Microsoft. So are you saying one of those will win the the app
3: gap story or part, part of it? Yeah, I mean, the lens of my perspective is somewhat biased just for the sense that I am a Microsoft principal architect, right? I work on the Microsoft platform. But what I will say is you see attitudes tend to change, right? So we saw Microsoft's attitude change around 2018 to say, look, we are arms open towards Mac. I mean, most of those show up now. You meet with a Microsoft developer, they're going to be using a Mac, right? So just from a management standpoint, they have made big, broad changes to be very accessible to organizations who want to manage their Mac with their PCs. The goal is make it easy. Make it easy to adopt. The device doesn't matter in the way it mattered 5, 10 years ago. And so, okay, that's the management piece. Yeah. You
1: can manage the, all devices, one platform. What about the other apps that are in the gap necessarily? Are the productivity apps? Are there security apps? Talk to me a little bit about the other things that Microsoft specifically can solve.
3: Yeah, I mean, I almost look, I I put Mac and and modern management in the same boat, right? Getting someone to manage their PC in a modern way is very much like managing a Mac. Your biggest gap is going to be those legacy apps that talk to on-premise, you know, mainframe type systems. So, you know, in that case, Mac always had a superpower of being able to run Windows flawlessly. I think everything changed with the move to Apple Silicon, right? And not necessarily you know, in a bad way, it just change where we have new options, right? I think, you know, you still get the best of both worlds, right? If, if you want to virtualize Windows, you 100% can, right? Products that can do that. I know Parallels does a great job on after Apple's transition to their own silicon. Microsoft also has, uh, you know, Windows 365, so simplified cloud PCs. So if you need to run legacy applications, right? X86 stuff, it's not an issue. The barrier to entry is low level from a technical effort perspective.
1: So I I always hear virtualization is the answer (laughs) for the things you cannot do natively, but tell me about what you lose in experience with, say, Win365.
3: Now, when you think about just a cloud PC, right? It's like, take the end part of virtualization, right? You open a client, you log into your You know, PC in the cloud, it's virtual, but without all the back end. I can say, hey, I just want to, you know, buy a license to give my user a cloud PC on their Mac. They can open that up and and log in and do what they have to do. And I think that's really important from an industry perspective because that's going to make organizations who have the single IT mindset open up. Want to use Mac? No problem. There you go. There's your app. Victoria is very concerned about security.
1: (laughs) Tell her a little bit about how. You help customers
3: ease their mind as it pertains to security apps. At the end of the day, the best security you can have is you want to secure who is accessing what on something, on a device, on a phone, on a platform, on a computer. And if you can protect that, you've nailed it. Now, everything around it to get there is where the technical chatter comes in. But honestly, yeah, another area I work on is like, for example, Microsoft's Defender suite of products, which is multi-platform and even more so than the endpoint management. So I'm helping folks stand up endpoint security, cloud security, app security, but platform agnostic. We can give the same experience on Mac as we can give on Windows or on iOS, and it's holistic.
2: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Steve, because one of the things I'm seeing in the work I do within Strategic Insights is people really putting a lot more effort into overall vendor consolidation than they have in the past. There's been a lot of talk about it, but it's not actually always that easy to unpick the existing architecture and to replace these. So it's not a question of this is a quick project. I bought that. I can just rip everything out and replace it. Oh yeah. They're quite quite a heavy lift to actually do that properly, but it does actually seem to be happening now rather than just being talked about. So I guess, you know, it's another opportunity. If you're making these changes, then that is probably the time to say, okay, if we're looking at Mac while we're making these changes, it's not a bad time to look at deployment at scale.
3: I think the problem, there's a few things, right? It's, yeah, it's that end goal in mind, like, is this going to get us where we want long-term cost savings, better results, better end-user experience, better admin experience. It's also, you got to be very careful to not lump things together. I could see folks going, okay, well, you know, I'll I'll adopt this unified endpoint platform. Oh, that'll give me an opportunity to bring in Max. That'll give you an opportunity to do this. And now, before you know it, your, your project to do one thing has snowballed and now it can feel overwhelming. So it's important to pace. It's very important to pace, chunk these things out and make sure we're, we're staying you know, one objective at a time. We wanna implement max, we need to do these two things. Let's do those two things. The rest is good long-term, but we gotta be thinking strategy. That's the only way to do it.
1: That's very important the things you're bringing up. It is the technical conversation, but it's also how you uh, effect change, how you communicate this out, how you ensure people understand what they're doing. And so tell us a little
3: bit about how people mistake technology for change management? The hardest part is is the people and the, the habits we have, right? The tech, you know, if you let us run around and do the tech, yeah, we could get that done, no problem. But it is the change, it's the adoption, it's the things we're used to. It, you know, the, the strongest thing you'll find in IT are the things we've been doing forever because it's the way we've been doing them. Breaking the status quo. status quo, breaking the habits, afraid to rock the boat. That's the hardest part. And sometimes we play that role, my team, of just, it's going to be okay. Let's take a breath together. Grab my hand. We're going to get you through this. Like, you know, once you see it in action in a five-device pilot, stakeholders going to be happy. So-and-so is going to be happy. That's the hardest part. That's what makes these things, you know. you therapist. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. As close as I'm ever going to get to being one.
2: <laughs> oh, well, we had a good conversation with Kristen Hubler in episode eight about the the importance of making sure that the communications are effective and that actually you know you consider everything that's going to be different. And as you say, particularly when it's you know it large numbers, you're doing this at scale. You know the potential impact of. You know, sixty thousand people suddenly finding something's different and not understanding that that's going to happen and having to navigate it—that's a massive dip in productivity potentially. If you haven't done the education piece, if you haven't understood the way those people work on a day-to-day basis, and what you're going to have to show them that mm-hmm. has has changed. So, you know, one of the things that came up when you know you and Kevin and I were discussing this uh, before was. The fact that, you know, it can be a lot easier to move people from Windows to Mac than perhaps it is the the other way around. And I know you have some quite strong opinions on that. Do you want to talk us through a bit of that?
3: Well, no one's moving from Mac to Windows. It's a one way. And it's 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 the way it's always been. I know
2: one guy. I
3: know one guy. Yeah. It's, um, here's the way it works, right? You know, your Mac people are your Mac people, your Windows people are your Windows people. And uh, then you have the Windows folks who just haven't asked for their Mac yet, right? And because the organization doesn't, doesn't offer it, people accept it. And the other thing, and, and the price thing has become so great. It's so not a factor anymore, right? I have a Surface laptop that cost more than some Macs, right? And and vice versa. But, you know, I think what it is, is, you know, once there's a true choice and the organization is comfortable in their footprint enough to say, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not an extra effort for me to offer Mac, right? And then it's really not an issue. Switching to Mac, again, you really have to evaluate, you know, we call it like, you know, workforce analysis. A big thing we do is looking at, you know, how do you group your users and what do they do? And we never solve for the fringe. The, the worst thing someone could do is bring up to me, well, let's say I'm going to move to Mac. Ah, I can't because you know I have certain users who do X, Y, and Z. What's the numbers on that? Is it 2%? Are we really going to make these broad strategy changes for, for 2%? For outliers. No, you, you leave the fringe. Because by the time you've done addressing the, the masses, the fringe might have solved itself. Because those are just big changes that have to be made. If so-and-so can't use a Mac or use a cloud solution or use a insert whatever technology because they're stuck on an app that some independent service person is still managing for them and it's one guy, that's not sustainable anyway. You can't base your strategy on that.
1: But you said something earlier about how Apple trains
3: the consumer and how consumers are users. So The way Apple educates the consumers is unrivaled. There is not a tech entity that does that the way Apple does. They train consumers without them even knowing it, right? They educate the consumers. So our users at our enterprises and our organizations, they're consumers. They're the same folks, the same folks who buy iPhones for their for their family and their you know, for themselves and update every year and do iCloud and they're used to backing up. These are things Apple has educated that you have now built in to for your users. So to not take advantage of that, you know, would be uh it's definitely a miss if we're not looking at that. I thought that was very interesting. What do you think, Victoria?
2: I like the point that when we talked about it before, that that's, that you guys made about you don't need to be technical to use this technology. Yes, when we talked to Kristen, she talked about the fact that just because you use it for in your personal life doesn't mean to say you're necessarily going to know exactly how to use it for business. But I think a lot of people, you know, it has that familiarity. So they don't necessarily feel... Intimidated by it and worried by the things that maybe are different because it's it's a they're using it for work. At least it's within a familiar landscape. I think it's not that
3: Windows, you know, doesn't have that. I, I think it's just as as a the culture isn't the same. Right to say someone uses a home PC, so they're going to be comfortable getting a PC at work that doesn't exist. But on the Apple side, it it, it really does. So even if someone's non technical, to take what they do every day from a, you know, whether it's the phone or they use a Mac, uh, most of that will apply, right? So to definitely to, to take advantage of it is important.
1: Got it. So your top tips then are express empathy for the app gap by starting with your unified endpoint management approach. You can unify the way you manage your PCs, but then move into not the fringe, but things that people use all the time, like productivity suites and security suites.
3: Yeah, you're gonna look at. I, I look at it in three tiers, right? Like, you know, there was a time where Office for Mac was very different than Office for PC. That's over, right? So here's the deal: if if you're basic, if if you're a user and your bread and butter is productivity apps like Microsoft Office, you're good to go. Let's take it a next tier. Let's say you use Visio or Project, things that aren't Mac native. I could very easily use a product like you know Parallels to to virtualize. Windows on Apple Silicon because Windows has Apple Silicon native, you know, ARM friendly versions, separate thing. But that's easy. My next tier would be something I can't virtualize. I can just go to cloud PCs. And if I go to cloud PCs, I don't need VDI background or expertise. I could just deploy that. So you're covered. You just got to understand where those tiers are and which users fall into those tiers. Two, solve for
1: the masses, not the outlier. And then three, it's not the tech. It is change management. Is that, do I got that right?
3: Yeah, it, it's it's understanding, you know, the, the war's over. The Mac PC war, right? It's, it's not a war anymore. It, it's over. Our biggest challenges are the habits. So yeah, it, it's the adoption.
2: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Steve. Really appreciate it. Um, it's been interesting chat. Good to have some time to to catch up with you again. I don't think we, we hadn't spoken for a long time <laughs> until yeah. now. Kevin and I will be back again soon with another episode of We Got Your Mac. In the meantime, for those of you listening, if there is anything more that you'd like to find out, if you want to look for previous episodes, if you want to find the resources, the blog posts, um, information about the various guests we've had, then please go to wegotyourmac.com for all of the information about everything we do related to this podcast.
0: We Got Your Mac is produced by SHI International, a trusted global provider of end-user computing, hybrid infrastructure, and cybersecurity solutions to many of the world's most demanding technology users. SHI has more than 20 years experience helping private and public sector organizations adopt Apple technologies and is an authorized Apple reseller. To be the first to hear or watch new episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and hit the notifications icon. Visit WeGotYourMac.com or SHI.com to solve what's next in delivering Mac at scale across your organization.